Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In today's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest talks about what salespeople need to do differently in order to be top-forming salespeople and how important it is to have a sales process in place if you want to scale. She gives them an example of a health tech company and how working on changing the mindset and the culture within the organization stop them from discounting 75 to 95% of all of their sales and how it was having a sales process, a defined sales process and that cultural change so that they could um, sell the value better then the customer was willing to pay more. So they put up their prices. My next guest is the CEO of Lipkins Consulting Group and author of What Top Performing Salespeople Do Differently. She helps sales teams to convert prospects into paying clients by improving their sales process. So welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast, Larielle Lipkins. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's it's lovely to have you. We were just talking off camera how we've been floating around one another and it's so great to connect because there are so many areas that we really connect on in the way we think about sales that we're going to be talking about. But first, I'd like you to tell me more about what top performing salespeople do differently, because I know that you've got a book that you've um, that's coming out shortly around all of this. Yeah, well, well, there's a number of things. Right. And for the purpose of this, I would say one of the big things that uh, top performing salespeople do different is following a sales process. Um, a lot of times I think people get into sales um, because they think it's all about personality um, and they realize that if they really want to be successful, not only on an individual level, but as, as an organizational level, you have to have a process. Uh, that you're going to be following if you want to be able to scale, if you want to be able to add more to your team and ultimately be able to to increase revenue. And this is interesting. I've just uh, issued a newsletter that says that the sales process is not fit for purpose. So it's great we're having this conversation. Um, what I mean by this is that sales process is, I agree with you, it is important to follow a process. And I do find a lot of um, sales organizations where everyone's doing their own thing or yeah. founders that don't really know that there is a particular process. However, many organizations hang on to the sales process for their life. <laughs> and they're not really listening to the buyer. They're not yeah. really buying the buyer's journey. They're, you know, yeah. it's just we need to measure our process. We need the numbers. We, you know, we have to hit targets. Have you gone through this linear process? 
process. Whereas mm-hmm. actually, we all know buyers have moved on and changed so much yeah. post pandemic. You know, they do a good 70% of their research, they're way ahead. And if you're pulling yeah. them back to get into your process, you've yeah. lost them. So, what's your view on this? Well, I, I, I love that you mentioned this, right? Because to your point, I think a lot of times when we hear process, we do think step one, step two, step three. We think linear, but we're talking to people. And people aren't following step one, step two, step three. So my belief is that when you have a really good process, it gives you more flexibility. Because if I'm talking to someone and I know I've got to get from step one to two, but you jump to three, I should be so good in my process that I can go to three and then get right back to where I'm at. So like, I don't even teach scripts, right? I I really am a big believer in framework because I believe that process system framework should give you more flexibility and serve as milestones versus being so rigid. And then another point that I I love that you mentioned is you're absolutely right that people are doing more research. Gone are the days where I need that salesperson to tell me all the ins and outs of the organization. I've already done the research. I've likely already narrowed it down to two to three people that we're evaluating. And so I'm much further in the process today than let's say 10, 20, even 30 years ago. And so with that being said, if your process has not changed since 2019, 2020, you better update it, right? Because you have to meet prospects where they are so that they have a seamless uh, process. And we're not jumping them back and they're like, okay, I've already done all that research. Your process needs to be reflective of the buyer's journey today. And it doesn't need to be rigid. So how does that happen in the field? We have a sales process, seven-step mm-hmm. sales process. Um, most salespeople have learned that process, whether it's 15 Absolutely. years ago or even last week. They're learning the same things. It hasn't adapted. You're in an organization. Many of the measurement tools are based upon this step process. Mm-hmm. So then you're in an organization and you want to make them more customer centric, which is what I'm doing. And I know that you do as well. So how do you start to move that organization to be more relevant to the customer? Well, one of the things I always recommend to clients um, and even potential clients just in the field is you should be evaluating your process at least every six months. Because things are changing so fast. And I think even with the pandemic, it changed even faster, right? Like everything, um, companies that were not efficient, it became very apparent that they were not efficient. And so I think that part of my process is evaluating where you are every six months to figure out what is not working within the process. The other thing, and I think it's a bigger challenge, is a cultural shift, right? And how we're approaching sales and not approaching it necessarily from what's good for us, per se, if I'm the company, but what's going to be better for the prospect and potential client? Because what's typically better for them is some typically going to also work better in our favor as well. And so part of it is shifting this mindset is we're not pitching product. We're not pitching services. We're not pitching our stuff first. And so we actually find out if there's a gap to find out if there's this mutual, uh, mutual benefit. And so I think one of the biggest challenges is really creating this mindset shift. And that starts with the CEO. That starts with executive leadership. That starts with self-leadership of, yes, the end result is we do want to solve a problem for this, this potential client. But first, we need to figure out where they are in the process. We need to reevaluate our own process to say, does it even work in today's marketplace? 
there's the old adage that what got you there won't, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And I think the same thing applies for sales organizations. So looking at your culture and saying, what shifts do we need to make? And then also changing the mindset that the process isn't meant to be rigid. The process should actually not only help support the salesperson, it should also support the prospect going through the process as well. And I think there's often, often this one-sided view that we think the process is just to help us convert. Well, the process should actually remove roadblocks for the prospect. The process should actually help them clarify what their actual needs and gaps are, right? And so it's really creating this different mindset that sales isn't just about us. And in actuality, sales is not about us at all, right? If we're on the sales side. Sales exist to solve a problem for somebody else, whether that's an individual or an organization. So I would say number two is that cultural shift is the biggest challenge for organizations, especially those who have this traditional mindset of like, let's just meet numbers, let's just follow the process, let's just hit certain metrics and, and milestones. I, I love what you have to say that it is a very much a cultural um, uh, shift and a, a mindset shift and how leadership, there's two things that I, I thought about. One is about how we measure success in the numbers. Mm -hmm. And if you think of uh, leaders may um, be answerable to stakeholders and shareholders and, and investors, and they're very much about the numbers. But then, you know, within the organization, you've got to do a, a cultural change, which may be more of a qualitative um, change. Um, so that's quite difficult for, for leaders to, to, to balance, really. Um, I know that you've got an example of a health tech company yeah. that you worked with, and that culture was very much about um, discounting in order, just do the deal, just get the deal. Get the deal done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How did that change come about? What talked to me a bit about the kind of the mindset change that had to happen? Um, I was working with the CEO, right? Starting with him, he was actually leading the sales organization, brilliant at what he does, brilliant practitioner, um, but didn't really understand how sales works and the, cell, the psychology behind sales. And so they were discounting really on over 90% of their deals just to make the deal happen and to meet numbers. And I was uh, interviewing him a few weeks ago to do a case study. And after all of the changes that we made in the organization, I, I said, what was your biggest mindset shift? And he said, the fact that we no longer go in and just present our solution. He said, when you told me we needed to take a step back and put our slide deck to the side, and just have conversations with people. He's like, that has been the biggest shift. I don't believe that like things are mutually exclusive, right? So I think we can be focused on the numbers and also have a, a culture that is prospect or customer centric. And those things don't have to live in two different worlds. They can coexist, right? When we are more focused on the prospect, when we're asking better questions, when we have a process that works for both of us, you're going to convert more. Right? And so for him, I think it was unpacking his approach, uh, his traditional mindset is that we've just got to meet the numbers. So like, no, we can actually sell value. And they actually increased their prices. Um, and they did that by asking better questions and better understanding what the actual need was. And when they, he started to make that shift, it was much easier than to coach and train and get buy-in from his team. 
because they saw that happening at a leadership level. Um, I also have a, another client, similar situation, where it's almost like you would think you were walking into like Wolf on Wall Street, right? <laughs> There's oh, this, this pitch mentality, right? And it's this boiler room mentality. Um, and one, the new generation of salespeople, one, don't like that culture. Um, so that was an issue. But potential buyers also don't like that, right? And so we made some changes even from the concept of we don't pitch. We present solutions, right? And that was a huge paradigm shift, especially for they've got 27 managers who grew up within the organization with this numbers, 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 numbers mindset. And now, and I have to go to the CEO and I said, I'm not training your sales leaders. And so I get buy-in from you. That we're going to make this shift. We're going to actually slow the process down to meet prospects where they are. Um, I will not say it was an easy conversation, but once you make this shift, I think it starts to click for people and they can see again that it doesn't have to be um, not mutually exclusive. We can make numbers and produce and also be customer centric as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that picks up on, on what you were saying is that when you talked about sales previously, and, you know, you're selling a solution rather than, you know, kind of hitting numbers. What I often think of is, and it's nothing new, but, you know, like when you're thinking of a, delivering a service yeah. and you have to understand what service the customer that you're selling to wants, what is service? You know, how do you define what service, what does that mean? You can't just... You know, the, the thing with selling a solution, I thought, is that I have a solution. I have my widget and I want to sell my solution or present mm -hmm. my solution. It's, you know, there is a bit of to and fro, but it's still based upon what I have to give. Whereas actually mm -hmm. the service is about, I'm, I may not have anything to give. I, I'm not starting with my, my solution. When you're selling a service, You've got to decide what that, how define it and what that looks like. So you've got to listen. You've got to ask yeah. questions. And I know that you talked about uh, just now about asking different questions in order to change, to reframe what, what you're doing. So I wanted to just highlight this kind of service thing is very different to, to uh, solutions. So tell me more about the kind of questioning how, you know, how you get people to change the way they question to discover more about what this, you know, solution or service would look like. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, one of the things I always tell, tell people is that if your prospect can answer every single question without having to pause to think, you're not asking high quality questions, right? I believe that you should be asking them questions that makes them think about their problem think about their business, their goals, their objectives differently than they've ever thought about it before. I actually call these two-by-four questions, right? Because they should hit them over the head like a two-by-four. <laughs> and um, the, the client that I was talking about, the health tech company, when I met with him, he had a very clear idea of what he thought he needed. And halfway during our, question, our conversation, I asked him a question, and he literally put down his pen, and he said, what did you just ask me? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> And he said, verbatim, I don't know the answer to that question, but I should. What you just did to me, I need my salespeople to do when they're having conversations with prospects. 
Because in sales, it's my job to get people to think different, right? It's getting them to change. And so I love when I'm talking to a prospect and I teach this to the client, you want the prospect to say, I don't know. Otherwise, you're asking the same question that their competitors are asking, right? And so it's these two by four questions. Um, the other thing that I think uh, that I teach is where people typically go on monologue mode is what I call it. Where is it in the conversation when we start doing all of the talking where we should really be inserting some questions that gets the prospect talking and they actually end up selling themselves quite often. And so I'm a big believer that when you increase the quality of the questions that you're asking, you increase the quality of the answers that you get. And so I think a lot of people, um, salespeople, um, don't think about the questions. They're very surface level versus what's the real, what's the real question? And as sales leaders and CEOs, I think, um, or even CROs, I think that's also part of the role for the CEO or the, the sales, uh, sales leader is what questions are we having our, our sales team ask? And then if we take it a step further, um, what, what questions are the sales leader asking their sales team, right? Because they need to be asking different questions versus like, how did that call go? Um, well, okay, but what was your biggest takeaway from that? What's the one thing that you would improve? What's the one question that you didn't ask that you wish you would have asked? So this idea of asking better questions isn't just at the, at the sales level. It's sales leaders need to be asking better questions. CEOs need to be asking better questions. The CRO, right? You need to be asking better and different questions because you get to model that for your sales team. I absolutely love what, what you say. And one of the, um, the, you know, it needs to become, asking better questions needs to become part of the culture. And yeah. so you need to practice it in order to deliver that. And I mm -hmm. love that. One of my, my, um, my, um, uh, coach from years ago um, who's a friend now said to me you only have three questions and I've taken that in and and and, and delivered that through my leadership um, training um, if you only had three questions in order to get the answer you know to take your customer on a journey or to make a decision around the board table or whatever the situation is you mm -hmm. only have three questions. You would have to sit down. Um, you might start with 10, but you've yeah. got to refine it. What is the most important question? And it's got to be an open question, obviously. How are you going to get the information that you need? By limiting it, that, it in that way, it means you have to construct your question. You have to yeah. think about your question. And then it's a bit like a chess game, isn't it? You know, the, the first piece, you actually need to work three pieces ahead to yep. construct the journey that the question will take the, the buyer, customer, stakeholder on. And I find that it's so hard. But once you get into the practice of, of doing it, um, mm -hmm. even around board table, three questions, then we're moving yep. on to another subject. We've got to make a decision with these three questions. It's very restrictive, very difficult, but it's a great discipline to have. So, you know, I wanted to kind of uh, platform that because it's hard, yeah. but it's good. <laughs> well, you know what? And, and something that I love about this conversation, um, because when we get into talking about questions, I often hear sales leaders say, they're not asking enough questions. I'm like, no, <laughs> not that sometimes it's not that it's that they're not asking enough questions. 
But then what ends up happening when we put that messaging is then some people are just asking. It becomes an interrogation through the process. And I said, it's not that they always need to ask more questions. It's that they need to ask better questions. Right? So I love limiting it to three because it isn't adding more. It isn't about the quantity of the question. It's about the quality of the question. And then one other tidbit that I want to leave uh, for, for listeners to think about, one of my favorite questions to ask salespeople is, what's the question that you wanted to ask that, that you didn't ask? Because that always gives me insight. It's usually that question is a question they should have asked, but they were scared to ask because they didn't know how to soften it soften it, how to round it off, how to position it, but it's usually the exact question that needed to be asked that would have gotten them the information that they needed. So that's another question, um, another question <laughs> that if you're a sales leader that you could use with your team is asking, what's, what's the question that you wanted to ask, yeah. but you didn't? I love that. I love that because some often, as you say, it's about the fear of what the answer will be, and actually mm -hmm. that's the answer you really need. Absolutely. Even if it's a no. Even if it's a no, it's often no, not. But then the next question is, it may be no, not right now, as opposed to actually not asking a question, not getting a no, and you are spending, wasting a lot of time and money going down a line that's not going to get you anywhere. You know, and I think that's Absolutely. the thing that people are always afraid of is this no, and it's learning to love the 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 world no because it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end it just means no not right now or no we haven't got budget or no we haven't got whatever it may be but it actually gives you quite a lot of information and that's the fear factor absolutely overcome love this absolutely love this okay so what one tried and tested um strategy would you offer the all of the companies and listeners and ceos and so forth out here um, what is your one tried and tested strategy that you would offer listeners to help them scale their sales? Yeah, I know this is going to sound like a broken record, but I, I believe that sales organizations, the foundation is the sales process, right? It is very difficult to scale if you don't have some type of process, right? So I, again, I tell people, optimize your process first, then add people. Um, a lot of times people say, I just need more people. It's like, but if we add more people and we don't have the right processes, we don't have the structure, it's actually going to become more chaotic. And so um, the particular organization that we keep on referencing, you know, they went from seven to 21 people and 18 months just on their SDR team. You know why? Because the process was dialed in. And they knew that if we add additional, you know, for every person they had added, it was going to gener generate additional revenue because the process was designed and optimize first. So I always believe, let's start there. And again, notice that I'm not saying methodology. <laughs> I'm talking about process, right? So process should be customized to your organization. Un unlike a methodology, right? Steps with, there are, there's hundreds of thousands of different methodology and they can all work, but methodology and process are not the same, right? So you need to optimize your process first and then it's much easier to scale and, and add more people. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so Larielle, if you were on a desert island on your own, what would be the one thing you took with you? Yeah, you would think I would say like my laptop, but I would actually take a good old journal, right? I have a journal sitting right in front of me. Um, even though I am a millennial, I am old school at heart. I mean, I love pen and paper. 
I, um, I, I would take a journal. I would be able to put my thoughts down. I would probably document my journey. Um, and I would have a breakaway from my six and two year old. Uh, just to have some clarity to be able to think. So it would definitely be a nice journal and pen. It sounds like it would be a joy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the desert island right now actually sounds more like vacation. Yeah. Well, that's my gift to you then. <laughs> so how can listeners get hold of you? Yeah, the best way to uh, reach out to me is either on my website, LarryLLipkins.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves pod podcast, Lariel. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you. It's been a joy as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.